welcome to the National Capital Bible Church and welcome to the second service this morning and it's our communion service. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things uh, in heaven where Christ is, not on earth. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. But as it's written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the minds, of the hearts of men, the things that he has provided for those who love him. This morning, as we prepare to begin our communion service, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, We have just a few seconds for spiritual preparation. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, once more, we are thankful that we have the opportunity on Resurrection Sunday to know, confidently know, that we have a risen Savior. And our responsibility is to remember, to honor, and to worship this risen Savior. We're thankful, Father, for the opportunity this morning to take the communion elements, the church ritual that focuses us on what our Lord Jesus Christ did for us and our salvation being so great and so free. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we begin our second service on this Resurrection Sunday, I think it's a special time of remembrance for us, but we're going to observe a church age custom or ritual. We've been talking about Jewish traditions. But we are now going to observe a church-age ritual, one that is commanded of all believers. And it centers around the Lord's table or the communion service. On the evening prior to our Lord's crucifixion, he wanted to ensure that everyone was going to make the adjustment. The adjustment from an event that had occurred in history that it occurred, as a matter of fact, back when Israel was leaving Egypt, the Exodus. He wanted to remind them that there was going to be a new covenant. And the new covenant would have a new sacrifice. And that new sacrifice was about to occur. The new sacrifice was going to replace the Passover lamb. But we'll see that while the Lord Jesus Christ replaced the Passover lamb, he becomes the Passover lamb. God the Father was about to demonstrate his love for us by giving us his one-of-a-kind son, the Lord Jesus Christ, his only son, And he was about ready to remove the sin guilt guilt for the entire 
human race. And in response to the Father's act of grace, what are we to do? Simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. The purpose of the Lord's table is to remind us of Resurrection Day. It's to remind us of Resurrection Day and the significance of what happened to our Lord for our sakes. The provision of salvation. The salvation, again, is not dependent upon us. Not dependent upon anything we do. But it is truly, totally, and completely dependent upon who the Lord Jesus Christ is and what he's accomplished on the cross. The Lord's table is designed to help us to remember who the Lord Jesus Christ was and what he accomplished on our behalf. It's designed for us to remember and to focus on the biblical truth that is seen, that is taught through the symbolism of the elements. And I always focus or always try to remind us that the elements are symbolic. We are not worshiping the elements. The elements do not change. The elements are purely symbolic. So that it's what we are thinking while we are doing that's important. And that is critical. The unleavened bread pictures the Lord Jesus Christ in his humanity. While he was on earth, he was perfect humanity and he was also absolute deity in one person forever. He will always be that person. We also see that the blood represents the work of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. His work on the cross provides salvation. What was his work? He died spiritually so that we might live spiritually. Now, what is our requirement? Our requirement as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ is simply to take the elements, to observe the church age ritual, the communion service. If you're an unbeliever here this morning and you're here without Christ, without eternal destiny, then this is going to be meaningless to you. Absolutely meaningless. But you can change that by simply believing in an instant, just the thought, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And now, after salvation, after believing, this becomes a very significant and very meaning, meaningful ritual. So, one more time, the cup represents who our Lord Jesus Christ was. It, re it represents his sinless perfection as he goes to the cross. And the cup, it's red, sometimes wine, sometimes grape juice, is designed to represent his blood. And his blood represents his spiritual death on the cross. And so this morning as we remember these things, I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward to assist me in the communion service. And you have just a few more seconds for personal spiritual preparation. And I would like to ask Bill Sen if he would please give thanks for the bread in a second or two.
Father, we thank you for the privilege of taking communion this morning. We thank you for the bread. We thank you for its representation of the perfect person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin was made sin on our behalf, that we may, might be made the righteousness of God in him. So, Father, we pray that uh, as we take the bread that you would help us focus on his perfect and impeccable person in Christ's name. It's our custom to retain the wafer or the bread until all have been served. Once more, the wafer represents our Lord Jesus Christ's sinless perfection as he goes to the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. And in 1 Corinthians 11.23 we see, In the same night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I'll ask Randy Bissell if he would please give thanks 
for the cup. Dear Father, today we remember our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And as we take the cup now, we contemplate the tremendous, incredible love that He had for us that led Him to to do this wonderful thing, to take upon Himself the, the judgment, Your wrath for the sins of the world, for our transgressions, Father. We pray that as we reflect on this, that we might be motivated to exercise the same type of love and reciprocation toward Him and toward one another. And we pray these things in His holy name. Amen. Again, it's our custom to hold or retain the cup until all have been served.
cup represents our Lord's spiritual death. It represents his blood, which represents his spiritual death on the cross. In Ephesians 1.7, we are told in him we have redemption through his blood, his spiritual death, forgiveness of sins. And so in 1 Corinthians 11, we also read, In the same manner he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Dear Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this opportunity to remember. We're also, Father, thankful that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Until he comes. We serve a risen Savior. We are thankful that he has risen. It is a historical fact. And we look forward to his return. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's our custom at the conclusion of the communion service to sing a song. It's what the Lord Jesus Christ and his disciples did the night of their uh, the communion service, their last Passover meal together, as they were departing for the Garden of Gethsemane. Please stand and open your Bibles to page 258, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. This is also our opportunity as part of our worship service to, do, to remember the Lord or to worship Him in giving. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-7 says, But this I say, or Paul saying, this is my point. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Therefore, each one of you should give. Simply give as you decide, as you esteem in your own heart, not reluctantly or under any compulsion. For the Lord loves a giver who gives the word, could be translated cheerfully, or who has a relaxed mental attitude. And so this morning we have the opportunity to express our love towards the Lord Jesus Christ, and we do it through giving. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the way you have blessed us. You have blessed us in a very remarkable way. And we're thankful, Father, that those blessings that you provide for us really bring even more blessings to us as we can express our love towards you. It's our reciprocal love. So, Father, thank you for making this part of our worship service. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Resurrection Sunday. And on Resurrection Sunday, we normally, and I have in the past, as a matter of fact, last week, or last year, just seems like last week, but last year we spent time looking at our Lord Jesus Christ and His disciples and what occurred during the week that we might call the Holy Week. <clears throat> and in Christian circles, that is 
what it is called. It's considered a week, uh, not completely full of events, but events that are worshipped. And so what I would like to do in conjunction with our study, our study has been a look at dispensations. And we've spent quite a bit of time in the Old Testament. And does the Old Testament have meaning for us today? Absolutely. I believe, and it's not original with me, that the better we know the Old Testament, the more we understand the Old Testament, the easier it is to understand the New Testament. Our Lord Jesus Christ referred to the New Testament over and over and over again. Those who he was teaching, the Jews, many of them were uh, immersed in the Old Testament. And so it's critical for us to understand how the Old and the New Testament relate. But again, we have just finished, really we've finished, what is known as the Holy Week. And it's celebrated with some variations beginning last Sunday. And working its way through the week, we really skip, for the most part, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, although there are things to be done on those days if you so desire. And then coming back to Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Wednesday is sometimes called Holy Wednesday. So that's not original. But Wednesday is a day that's called Holy Wednesday because it precedes that Thursday. And the Thursday, some of you may recognize the word, Mandy Thursday. If you've never heard of that, that, uh, that name, I didn't grow up with the, the name either. But Thursday was called Mandy Thursday. That would be our fifth day. So we have Wednesday being our fourth day. And Mandy Thursday, M-A-U-N-D-Y, being our fifth day. Then Good Friday, the sixth day. Every now and then someone will ask, why is it Good Friday? doesn't seem like what occurred on that day was good. Well, it may not have seemed good at the time. And whether that is the best name for Friday, I'm not going to dispute your, uh, your thought. But it eventuates in something great. And that is, if in fact Friday is the day that our Lord Jesus Christ goes to the cross, then he is providing salvation for the entire world. And of course, our Lord Jesus Christ said that that brought him joy, even though it was extraordinarily painful, beyond anything that we could ever imagine. So Good Friday would be our sixth day. And then ending on Easter Sunday. And again, with some variation, this is the Christian sort of mixed with the Jewish tradition. If it's a Jewish tradition, we would begin on a Sunday and end on a Sunday. But normally, uh, what they're going to do is end their, their week on a Saturday. But we're going to work with both traditions today. Now, Mandy Thursday. Let me just briefly speak of Mandy Thursday. Because we are going to try to orient ourselves to what was happening to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Mandy Thursday represents the day that the Lord ate the Last Supper. 
Mandy Thursday represents, it represents the day. I'm going to emphasize, represents the day that our Lord Jesus Christ ate the Lord's Supper. The name for this day, Mandy, is believed to have arisen from the Latin word, from a Latin word, mandatum. Mandatum would be the word. And it's the first word of the phrase that comes from John 13, 34. If you look in your Greek text, you will not find that word because it's from the Latin text, the Vulgate. So, what is John 13, 34? John 13, 34 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you all love one another as I have loved you. This is in Matthew 13, Matthew 13, 34. I'm glad to hear you're turning to those pages. That's a custom we have here. Don't just... Give us chapter and verse, but we read it. John thirteen thirty four. This is not the time of the crucifixion, but this is the time of the Lord's Supper. This passage is found in the discourse for or the evening of the Passover, or the night that the Lord instituted the communion or the Lord's Supper. And he says in verse 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And then, what I think is interesting in 35, how do others know who we are? It says... By this, or for this reason, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He was talking to believers. The demonstration of love that we have within the body of Christ is our testimony to others that we are believers. That's what the Lord says. Anyhow, this is the source of Mandy Thursday. So it's also called, in some, uh, some communities, Mandate Thursday or Covenant Thursday. This is a new covenant. This is a new command here. Now, if this is the fifth day of the Holy Week, how do we historically categorize the other days? Again, if this is the fifth day of the Holy Week, how do we categorize the other days? And is Thursday the best day? to place the event of the Lord's Supper as church tradition sees it. Church tradition places the Lord's Supper on Thursday. Places the Lord's Supper on Thursday. And therefore, places our Lord's crucifixion on Friday. Now, there is... A, an extraordinary study that we could go into a lot of detail. But I'm not going to do that because I believe there's a much easier way to determine what day is the Lord's Supper and what day is the crucifixion. We're going to spend this service 
looking at the Holy Week and what we believe occurred. Now, we're not going to do this to stir up controversy or to cause anyone to resent what any other church is trying to do or to try to straighten anyone out. This is simply believers trying to relate to our Lord Jesus Christ, what he was teaching, and how it relates to what we know from the Old Testament. Paul tells us, first of all, in Galatians 4.10, that we're really not supposed to try to have special days anymore. So we don't have these holidays. We can remember certain things, but the Mosaic Law with those special days really have passed, which is interesting, Galatians 4.10. But we are going to try to relate this, not as a special day, but at least to when did these events occur. I want to relate this to Old Testament events. Now, some people see Old Testament events as being rather trivial or maybe even extraneous. Reading through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, uh, it's just numbers and people and events, and it makes no sense. Ah, or as some would say, au contraire. It does. It makes a great deal of sense. And I think if we understand what happened in the Old Testament, we're going to understand the Holy Week much better. The first day of the Holy Week, of course, is Palm Sunday. Let's just establish the first day. Let's nail our first day down. The first day is Palm Sunday. We talked about Palm Sunday last week. Now, you might remember that Palm Sunday occurred just prior to the Passover just prior to the Jews celebrating the Passover. Because we go from Palm Sunday, stay in the same week, and we are now going to be preparing for the Passover. Palm Sunday, as it turns out, matches a day in the Old Testament for us very nicely. Just write this day down, and then we're going to find it. The tenth day of Nisan. It matches the 10th day of Nisan, N-I-S-A-N, the 10th day of Nisan. The lamb for the Passover was selected on the 10th day of Nisan and held until the 14th day as a period of examination. So, lamb selected on the 10th day held until the 14th day as a period of examination until it was sacrificed, slaughtered, killed. Let's turn to Exodus 12. Exodus We could also find this in other passages of the Old Testament, Leviticus 23.5, Numbers 9.3 and 5, and Deuteronomy 16.6. But so far as the timing is concerned, let's see if we can match some dates. The Passover instituted 
Exodus 12, 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of the months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. So the Lord is now establishing the first month of the year for Israel. And I have a slide of a calendar here of Jewish months. It would take, if I put it up here, it would take you too long and me too long to describe it. But Nisan matches with our March and April. We're in the month of Nisan as far as Israel is concerned, as far as the Jews are concerned. So the Lord reestablishes that calendar. And so it shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of the month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons, according to each man's need. You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Now, 14th day. Let's read that last. I'm going to need this last phrase. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. The little translation there is between the evenings. Between the evenings. Now, to us, if you were to say between the evenings, we'd say, well, that must have been between maybe Wednesday evening and Thursday evening, between Thursday and Friday evening. But Jewish tradition saw two points for an evening. And they would start the evening when the heat of the day broke, generally believed to be somewhere between three and four. Let's say three in the afternoon. And the other evening would be very close to when the sun set, which very often was established around six. The end of the day was not always six because sometimes they'd go with the natural day and that is when the sun set. But between the two evenings here, at twilight is what we have in many English texts, pinpoints for us, according to Jewish tradition, that this is between approximately three and six or three and five. So we know that the Passover lamb is going to be slain, killed on the 14th day between 3 and 5. So, now we have established the day of the Passover. By the way, Israel, the Jews, the Hebrews, used a lunar calendar. Their lunar calendar began on what we would call the dark of the moon. Now, we have a lot of scientific ways to predict when the first day of the new lunar cycle is going to begin. But a lunar cycle would generally run for about 29, actually 29.5 days. So, if the first day of the month is on the dark of the moon, the middle of the month is going to be the full moon, the 14th day. And the end of the month is then going to be the dark of the moon again. And it's sort of an interesting uh, story. The only way that they figured it out 
during those days was that people would watch. You, you don't say, I don't see anything, so it must be the dark of the moon. No, you'd have to find that first sliver of the new moon to say, we're in a new month. But anyhow, so what I, the reason I tell you that is the 14th day is also the day of the new moon. That was another way that the Jews established when the Passover would occur. It would occur on the full moon. And that would be generally a Wednesday. And, or it doesn't have to be a Wednesday because it's a moving target, really. It's a moving target. Now, so far as the timing is concerned, if the Lord's Supper takes place on Thursday, does that leave enough time for the evening in the Garden of Gethsemane the trials, our Lord, the trials that our Lord will endure, our Lord's crucifixion, which took place between nine in the morning and three in the afternoon, <clears throat> and then his death when he gives up his spirit. And finally, for all of the preparations for him to go into the grave. Good question. If you believe in a Friday crucifixion, you probably would say yes, because that's the traditional day. But is there another possibility that might make more sense? And I think that there is. A Friday crucifixion does not allow the Lord Jesus Christ to be in the grave three days and three nights, as he said he was going to be in Matthew 12.40. Let's look at Matthew 12.40. We're going to leave Exodus now. We're going to look at Matthew 12:40. Now, don't make this hard. All we've seen is that the Passover is going to occur on a certain day, the 14th. And the Lord says, after crucifixion, I'm going to be in the grave for three days and three nights. Matthew 12 beginning in verse 40. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. I think what we have to say, and there are various solutions for how we work with this, because traditionally the church has just established the crucifixion on Friday. But I don't think we have enough time our Lord Jesus Christ, if he's going to be crucified, would only be in the grave Friday night and Saturday night if we're going to have a Sunday morning resurrection, which all agree we do have a Sunday morning resurrection. So I believe that if we try to think of this, we are going to need to push that back one day. And you're looking at me and saying, well, wait a minute. When did our Lord then eat the Passover meal? Did the Lord eat the Passover meal on Thursday? As Mandy Thursday says should occur. Or was it possibly eaten the day before? You see, if the Lord eats the Passover meal on Thursday... 
We kill the lamb between three and five on Thursday. And then they go out. They sang a hymn. We sang a hymn after the Lord's Supper. And then we go to Gethsemane. And we're arrested. He's arrested. And then we go through the trials. Through the night. And in the morning, the different trials that the Lord went through. And he finally gets to the cross at nine o'clock in the morning. We've moved, we have moved from Thursday into Friday. And that's what tradition says. But unfortunately, we now have lost a full day. Just as... Just as the Passover lamb was a type of Christ and was sacrificed on the 14th month of Nisan, and I believe between 3 and 5, what could be more proper than Christ, the great antitype, to be sacrificed on that same day at that same time? Doesn't that make sense? And I think it does make sense. The Lord looks at the Old Testament symbolism of the Passover lamb. He knows when the Passover is. But who's going to be the Passover this year? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. So, do we kill another lamb then and then the Lord be sacrificed the next day? Or do you think the Lord would plan, down through history, for that sacrifice to occur on Thursday between 3 through 5? 3 and 5 in the afternoon. If he is crucified that day, he goes to the grave that night. And he is in the grave Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night. He is in the grave those three nights, and then he's in the grave. What we have Thursday night, so we have Friday, Saturday, and part of Sunday. Because the Jewish day begins at Six the night before. Now, Jewish tradition tells us that any part of a day is considered a full day. So, that will work for us. So, if we look at the Old Testament, and I think this should not be difficult. We understand, we didn't understand at the time, that Palm Sunday was the day of examination. Our Lord comes in triumphal entrance, in triumphal uh, entry into Jerusalem, where the Jews received him in an examination of their king. But they don't accept him as their savior. So this week, this holy week begins. Now, is there anything else that helps us with this timing? Well, as it so happens, and I would love to have Dr. Steve Austin here talking to us about archaeology and timing.
and when things occurred because he can go back and examine events in the past, fiscal events, physical events in the past. One of the events that he's mentioned to me that he would love to put in a book with several other events like the earthquake, the renting of the tabernacle, or the renting of the uh, curtain, and also the darkness that covers the earth. He would like to put those in a book, and I think he's going to work on that. But one of the things that we know, we know when the cycles of the moon occurred. It's systematic. And we know that it was on Wednesday in 30 AD that we had a full moon. It's the only one that works out on Wednesday. So Wednesday would have been the day that many were beginning to look towards the Passover. But there's another passage of Scripture. Let me turn to take us to a passage of Scripture. Passage that I'll probably need to, exam- need to explain. But it's in John 13. John 13, verse 1. John 13, verse 1. And I wish I had time to go to the other Gospels. Because there are some problems that need to be worked out there. But I think it could be easily done. But John 13, 1 says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. He's planning now for the Passover. Turn over to John nineteen thirty one. This is John recording these events for us. John nineteen thirty one. John nineteen thirty one says, and by the way, this is in the narrative of John the day that he was crucified. You can just quickly scan if you wanted to. But John 19 is the chapter that has him being crucified. And verse 28 says, I thirst. And in verse 30 it says, it's finished. So the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross from 9 till 3, we believe the darkness was from 12 to 3. And after the darkness passes, sometime between 3 and 5, Our Lord Jesus Christ says, it's finished. Wonderful timing for the twilight of Exodus 12, 6, between the evenings. But what day was it? Verse 31. Therefore, because it was the preparation day, this is the day prior to Passover. It's the preparation day. What our Lord Jesus Christ did, even though the Jews of that time were going to observe the Passover on Thursday, he observed it on Wednesday. Probably after six o'clock, which would make it kill the lamb. How long does it take to butcher and 
clean and eat the lamb quite a while to cook that lamb. So it was a late night. But what better for our Lord to move that day? See, the Jews of that time are not scientific on the day of the Passover. It's simply when they can first fix that new moon and then we'll establish the day. But our Lord Jesus Christ, who is divine, knows exactly when that Passover day was. And so while the Jews are are celebrating it on a Thursday, our Lord celebrates it on that Wednesday so that he now is available to be the Passover lamb. And our Lord is the Passover lamb. And he's available on Thursday, not to eat the Lord's Supper, but to be the Passover lamb. And he's the Passover lamb that day. And what do the Jews want to do? They want him off the cross and into the grave before they begin their Passover day. Now, the Lord probably goes to the grave sometime around 6 o'clock because it takes some time for Joseph of Arimathea to come to Pilate and say, I would like the body. And Pilate says, is he already dead? Sends a centurion. Centurion goes out. They look at the those three on the cross, crosses, break the legs of the thieves. Christ is already dead. Pierce his side with a sword. Comes back, tells Pilate, he's dead. Sends for Joseph of Arimathea. You may take him. He goes back out, takes him off the cross. They embalm him and get him ready to be buried. So it's probably six or a little bit after. They need to get him in the grave before sunset. And sunset about that time was probably 6.15, 6.30, something of that time, that time. Now, there's much more that could be said. I had a wonderful time reviewing this. But what happened this week? This Holy Week, our Lord Jesus Christ did execute Palm Sunday. Relates to the 10th of Nisan, the selection of the Passover lamb. He then is going to the cross on 14 Nisan. He must be ready on Thursday to be the Passover lamb. His Lord's Supper occurred the day before. He goes to the cross. He dies. He says, it's finished. He goes to the grave. He's in the grave three days and three nights. And he's ready on Resurrection Sunday when Mary and the other women come to the grave. And he's risen. He's risen. We have a risen Savior. And that's what Easter Sunday is all about. Easter Sunday is our Resurrection Day. And Resurrection Day tells us that we don't have a dead Savior. No other religion has a living Savior who is God and man. But we do. And the importance of this, the importance of understanding this, the Old Testament and the New Testament is that God the Holy Spirit has written the Word of God, has intertwined each one of these books, 
and everything that's written. He's so superintended through the human authors that it's it makes sense. There's continuity to the Word of God. And the Old Testament helps us in understanding the New Testament. We have a risen Savior. He was the Passover Lamb. He is risen. We have great reason to rejoice. Because if that part of history has been fulfilled, then the future will be fulfilled. God's character is established on what he has done and what he's going to do now for us. Inspire heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the continuity of the Word of God. We're thankful, Father, that what you have provided for us is not only all we need for our salvation, but it's all we need for our spiritual life. And we're thankful for your faithfulness. We're thankful for our risen Savior. And we're thankful, Father, that when he said it was finished, everything that needed to be done on the cross for our salvation truly was finished, accomplished. And it's simply a matter of believing. And if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't have an eternal relationship with our Lord, who cannot call the Lord Jesus their Savior, this is your opportunity to simply believe in his saving work what he accomplished on the cross during those three hours of darkness between 12 and 3 in the afternoon. We're thankful for that work, Father. We're thankful for a risen Savior. Help us to remember that. Help us to worship that. Help us to realize that our blessed hope is his return, and he is returning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.